I refuse, I refuse, absolutely refuse to continue to read both the parables and the rounded teaching of Jesus and skirt the issues and not go deeper and, and just think on a surfacey level. I refuse to do that. I pray that we refuse to do that. We want to understand what Jesus was talking about. Ostensibly, Jesus, the creator of the universe, talking about how things operate and what his father's kingdom looks like and what his purpose was. And yet people just don't have ears to hear. And sometimes, even as a follower of Jesus, I, I kind of stay at a distance a little bit from some of the things that he taught because they just are too jarring to my soul. You ever had that? You ever read the Bible and go, ooh, going to close that up and come back on another day or find a little devotional book that just like daily affirmations or something? You know, we can find those kind of devotional books. The teaching of Jesus is difficult. So let's pray. Let's pray now that the Lord would superintend this time together. And I welcome you online or wherever you may be watching from. I know we have a lot of folks that are out sick or traveling, but he can still be with us as a community. Lord Jesus, we need help. Help. Holy Spirit, come and give us guidance and insight and discernment and real wisdom. Real wisdom, Lord. We want to operate in tandem with you, whether that's just getting to know you from not knowing you in the early stages or whether somebody's been maybe walking with you for 50 years or 60 years or think of the Steinbergs this morning who celebrated 75 years of marriage this last year, 75 years of marriage. And Lord, there's still something for Phil and Thelma to learn today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. Here we go. We're going to go back to Luke 16. It was my coughing fit. If you were there, I'm so sorry that you had to be here for that. I just couldn't recover. I just couldn't. And I exited stage, your stage, I guess stage left, and I went outside. I broke three ribs. I coughed up half a lung. It was terrible. And I subjected my dear, precious family to that horror show of coughing. But, um, and that was, that was three and a half weeks after COVID. So I'm now five and a half weeks, and I think I'm doing, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty well, pretty well, pretty well. All right, you ready? So we're going to pick up where we left off, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background. Luke chapter 16, we're just going to read three verses, but they are so packed, so packed, and I want this to change all of our lives, and I want to be right at the head of the class here. Luke 16, verse 14, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, Okay, now, Jesus had been addressing these issues, and next week we're going to look to really kick off. I think we'll have a lot of folks back. We're going to really look deeply into next week into these three categorical temptations that Satan used on Jesus in the wilderness that we see all the way throughout Scripture. 1 John 2 def defines it as the love of the world is what? L lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And he is systematically, in my view, systematically addressing in love but in very stringent terms, the Pharisees, about these issues that they could not see in themselves. They only saw themselves as very religious people. And we know that is easy to fall into. I go to church, I do this, I'm on, a, I'm on an elder board, I serve on a philanthropic board, I'm on a part of this community, we feed the poor, and all of a sudden you get this sense of well-being as it relates to God, and, and what happens is there are these subtle influences that Satan will use. And we'll look at that more deeply next week, which really is, in my view, going to answer the last part, verse 17 of this passage. But I want to read it again. They were lovers of money. And they were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at Jesus. They were scoffing at him. That's ridiculous. I mean, I, can, I don't know what, I don't know how you, I mean, I, I like this kind of brought to life. I mean, imagine God taking human, for, uh, human form and coming down and living among his creation and enduring the created order, telling them something that was so profound and so deep, and they're like, give me a break. That's scoffing. I just, I, I need you to get that. I need you to try to internalize what's going on here. And then he turned, Jesus, and he said to them, well, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men from other men's perspective, which was a huge idol in their own hearts. 
the concern about the opinions of men. I don't know about you, but at various points in my life, and I still am subject to this to some degree, I am subject to thinking, well, what are, what are people thinking about me? The older I get, the less concerned I am, but certainly as a younger person, I was just always trying to fit in, especially as a teenager. I just trying to fit in. We moved around a lot. Mom and dad moved, and we just, I lived, we lived all, we lived everywhere. We lived in Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, Texas. I was born in Colorado. We lived in two different places in Colorado. Moved all over Texas. My dad was kind of, he was a free-spirited dude. No, he was a good guy. He'll be watching this at some point. Hey, Dad, you know, he's got to, but uh, he, he, a job took him different places and, and then college. And, and so I've actually been in the desert longer than I've been. I've been here on 37 years in the desert. And, uh, but I got I to gotta tell you, I, as a teenager, I just, what are, what are they thinking of me, you know? What are people thinking? And that's pretty typical for a teenager, but, but they were that way too. They were concerned more about that. And he says, but God knows your heart. The internal, the, the mind, will, and emotions, your intentions for that which is, and I told you this two weeks ago before I coughed off the stage, that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Does that mean everything that's highly esteemed? I mean, I love to go out and look at mountains and look at a beautiful trout stream or whatever, or, you know, I love that. Does that mean that's detestable in the eyes of God? No. Again, we'll get into this next week. But that, those three primary categories God detests because they turn our attention away from Creator and onto the creation, which is what we see in, in Paul's letter to the Romans. They began to focus on the creation rather than the creator. And eventually, God gives them over. If, you, if you're so focused on the created order, eventually, you will lose sight of the creator. And I think that's kind of what happens right here where we live. We have a lot of people that have lost sight of the fact that they are a created being. And they've bought into a lie that they are somehow just a cosmic chance emergent out of some primordial soup. I don't care how God did it. I don't have a problem with a 13.5 billion-year-old universe. I've told you that many times. I don't know how he did it. I just know that he did it, and it demands a first cause, and God, in fact, was that first cause. But then he goes on, and he says in verse 16, the law and the prophets, we're going to look at this a little bit this morning, were proclaimed until John, that's John the Baptist, since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, Gospel means good news, and good gospel didn't just emerge. I was talking to a group of men this last week. Gospel didn't just emerge after Jesus and he was resurrected, and that's the good news. That is definitely an ongoing disclosing of the good news. But in Galatians 3, it says that when, when Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, the gospel was preached to Abram. That's 2,000 years before Jesus. It says, in, the, in your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And now Jesus is preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. In other words, an entire realm in which people will begin the process, a foretaste, if you will, of the actual rule and reign of God that always leads to peace, always. Jesus said, I leave my peace with you. Abundant life, it always leads to it. But the door that enters that kingdom is not apparent. It is not apparent. Our instincts are awful when it comes to things that will make us happy. Let me say that again. Our instincts are awful. If I just had that much money, if I just had, and I've, I've read these studies to you before at various points, you know, they did this big Harvard study, happiness principles, and what, you know, what makes people happy, and what we perceive will make us happy rarely, rarely, if ever does. And my experience is, is when I buy into what Jesus talked about, this gospel of the kingdom, I find paradoxically that I find joy. Not always, not perfect, because I live in a fallen world. And I still have attributes and, and parts of my character and personality that are not in alignment with Jesus. They're aggressive at times, and they're self-serving at times, and I don't like it when I see that. So it's not a perfect picture of what the kingdom, the inaugurated kingdom, when Jesus comes back, will look like, but it is a foretaste, and I've tasted enough to say, mm, that's pretty good. I think I'd like a little bit more of that. Maybe you've never tasted of that. You have an opportunity to do that even today at any point. You don't need to jump any through any 
fiery hoops to get to Jesus. You just believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, he'll begin to save you out of the, well, the world system. The gospel of the kingdom has been preached and everyone, and we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning, everyone is forcing his way into it. Now, what does that mean? I want to talk to you that Jesus used generative language, formative generative language. I'm going to explain what that means, and then there's the formulaic kind of language. Like if I come up here and I just say, uh, good morning, everybody, and everybody, good morning, how are you? Fine, kind of a collective. What just happened in that? Jamie Winship, I remember Jamie who told us, still the most incredible message that's ever been preached from Church of the Red Door as far as I'm concerned. I just still am fascinated with that message he preached. And... Um, about Middle East and terrorists and all the kind of stuff, and you can go back and listen to it. A lot, thousands of people have listened to that. But he wrote a book recently, and he talked about getting up in front of a group in Salt Lake City, and he said he started with, hey, good morning, everybody, good morning. Hey, how's everybody doing? Fine. He said, what just happened in that interaction? Nothing. Formulaic, nothing was generated, nothing was birthed out of that. When Jesus speaks... Ideas, concepts, and things that will emerge in life and vitality and flourishing are present like seeds. When we're looking at these parables, we have to understand that Jesus is depositing in us, if we have ears to hear, things that will continue to expand and bring life and peace to us, and by extension, life and peace to those around us. That's generative language. And that's what Jesus is an expert at because through his very word, the very, well, the very universe that we know was created according to Paul in his letter to the Colossians. The people have to force their way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. What does that mean? It's just that Jesus is, Jesus is pictured in the law. All the way through the law, the Torah, the, the law can refer to different things. But generally, we just see that Jesus emerges. Our very title, as I've told you before, Church at the Red Door. Why, why did we name it that? Why was it called that? Because I want people to ask me, why do you call it that? People that I don't know. And I'm able to just in a very quick, succinct way talk about Exodus 12 and remember the story. And, you know, Cecil B. DeMille's, you know, they come out of Egypt. And Moses, and who was evidently a card-carrying member of the NRA, uh, Charlton Heston for those. Of, come on, you young people, you should know that by now, but now he's long past. But, and then Yul Brenner, I will not let your people go, you know. And then and what happens? And they come out, and, and how do they finally make it out? There's this last plague, and then they put blood over the doorposts, which is on wood, and it, that God passed over them in judgment. And I said, that's what we are. We're people, we're not we're not wonderful, incredible, amazing people more than other people. We're fallen people who have now been, are being regenerated into the picture of him, but we're passed over in judgment and given the spirit because we apply the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our house. And they go, oh, okay, I never really understood that like that. And in like two minutes, I'm able to share the gospel through just the name of who we are. It's, uh, it's brilliant. I'm amazed that I came up with that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was... Uh, so so that, that's what that means. The law, not one stroke, is going to pass away. We're still talking about it. That's what that means. We're not under the law for righteousness sake. The Bible's clear. And then 18, we'll take this up more next week. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. And then, oh my gosh, and people read that, and you're in a, a group and people watching and they're like, and most people or a lot of people, many of you are divorced and have remarried maybe someone who is divorced and you just go, I'm glad I came on the church of the red door. And I'm just like, why did Jesus, it's so out of, what is he doing here? Why does he talk about that? He's talking about forcing his way into kingdom and then he gives us some principle about divorce and marrying someone who's divorced. Why did he do that? Why did he put that there? What is the stream of consciousness that's going on here with Jesus? That's what I want to talk about. First of all, I want to talk a little bit. Randy alluded to it. New, New, Year, New Year's resolutions and all that. I mean, come on, predictions. I kind of mentioned this last week, Yogi Berra. You know, predictions are very difficult, especially about the future. And uh, the great Yogi Berra. But 
it's difficult, it's unimaginable. And he says, until John, so I want you to think about this in terms of kind of a, a timeline. Uh, up until John, John the Baptist comes preaching, uh, uh, saying the kingdom of God is near, repent for the kingdom of God is near, and then he baptizes Jesus. But until that time, all these prophets and the law were speaking, pointing to this seminal event, actually a multiplicity of events, but primarily the seminal event, first of the coming of God in human flesh, which they could not have possibly seen, the death of the seed. Now they knew, maybe they read, they understood, through your seed, through your, you know, your downline, Abram, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And I've always said, look, how, how do you even explain Every language, every tongue, every tribe, every people, you find believers and followers of Jesus, the nations, the nations, billions serve, they all get in the line. How does that happen? Through the seed of Abram, and billions will get behind and say that seed was Jesus. So they were pointing, and, that, and, and Paul says again, that was the gospel. That was the gospel, being priest to Abram, 2,000 years, 2,000 years before. 2,000 years? How do predictions go? How can you make a prediction and then 2,000 years later fulfill it and then now remove us another 4,000 years from Abraham and it's like this is way more than we ever imagined. A blessing to the nations? I'm like I'm like Horshack on that, that old sitcom when I was a kid, you know, oh, 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 I'm, I'm part of the nations and I'm blessed. Changed my the way I view marriage, change the way I view my life, change the way I, I'm blessed. I'm tasting of the incredible fruits of the gospel. And I'm like, that's me. How do you predict something like that 4,000 years before it happens? Well, you're not subject to time and space. You're God. You're the creator of the universe. Then you can do it. What do our experts do? So I just found this this week. Uh, Julie Hyman wrote this. A financial expert. Wall Street's 2022 stock market forecasts were way off. Now they make these forecasts like on December 31st, right, of the prior year. And they know everything up until then. And they say, here, and so here's we all have our little traditions to end a year. Some people make resolutions or best of lists. I look back at stock market forecasts. From the pirate. Now, these are the experts trying to predict something within the next 12 months. Not 2,000, 3,000, 100 years, 4,000 years. No, just a, just a year. The experts. Here it is. You ready? Part of Wall Street's strategist's job is to set targets for the S&P. That's standard and poor's. And if you were part of that, you are both standard and more poor now of 500. And as equities limp toward the finish line for 2022, I wondered if anyone had seen the drop coming. Well, the short answer is no, she says. As of November 2021, the median of 12 forecasts was 4,825 on the S&P, according to Bloomberg. The highest was 5,300 from Brian Belsky of BMO. Sorry about that, Brian of BMO. I don't know what BMO stands for, but it doesn't sound good. The lowest of 4,400 from reliable bear, Michael Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Reliable bear. So he's the bear. He's the, he's the guy. It's not going good, right? Not going to go well this year. With three trading days to go in 22, the S&P 500 closed at 3,829. And everybody who wanted to build a church in the Coachella Valley went, oh, just kidding. To be fair, there were a lot of unpredictables this year. Okay, so now we have the experts. Now, to be fair, we didn't see all this coming. 12 months. Well, what's the go Every prediction is like, okay, we're going to make a prediction, and if nothing happens, then our prediction will be right. But things happen, as the bumper sticker says. So unprecedented, some might say. Russia's invasion of the Ukraine was chief among them. Investors also had to contend with China's continued COVID shutdown and persistent global inflation and a sharp drop in bonds along with stocks, a tech plunge, and a, an alleged crypto fraud scheme. Alleged. And this is not exhaustive. Some strategists anticipated those events with the exception of the first, but, but few got it all right. 
Of course, the strategists changed their forecast as more information rolled in. Well, I mean, why? Why would I listen to your prediction? You're going to change it along the way as things occur. We don't live in a vacuum. Things occur. God is confident enough in his ability to not be part of this and see the whole parade from beginning to end and say, I'm just telling you, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what's already enacted. And he understands these things. And this is, as I've told you many times, it's such an intellectual anchor for me in my own faith. That they changed their forecast, more information. By mid-September, around the time the index was making what turned out to be its lows for the year, the median of 23 forecasts had moved down to 4,300. By mid-October, it had fallen further to 3,988, and forecasting is especially tricky, I love this, when it comes to picking the level where an index will end by the year. Why? I mean, seriously, no offense. I mean, I know they're experts, and I don't diminish the fact that there are certain things to understand, but did anybody see inflation coming? It's transitory. Right? Did anybody really see? And there's certain things, and I, you know, business cycles and things, and I understand, and I don't even begin to pretend to understand any of that. All I know is we don't know anything. Really. Nobody hit it. They were way off. God was exacting, precise, German quality engineering. No squeaks or rattles. This is what I'm going to do, and this is all going to be fulfilled, and Jesus emerges. Well, all the prophets in the law were, were, well, they were speaking until John, until John, now the gospel of the kingdom is is being preached. Now, those prophets didn't just see his coming and his crucifixion as a resurrection. Oh, they saw that in exacting detail. But they even talked, as you start to move away from Jesus' suffering servant and lamb, the prophets also saw a glorious kingdom coming one day. Uh, Resurrection of the dead. If you go back to Daniel and stars shining for all of eternity and a kingdom that would never, well, we read that at Christmas, didn't we, at Isaiah 9. An eternal kingdom, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, awesome. Where would he be born? Galilee, uh, Bethlehem. Tribe? Judah. Where would he be raised? Galilee. What would he be? Light to the nations. Not just, so please understand. Ah, you get together and you have your little mythological party dance there on Sundays. Just a hopeful, a hopeful buy-in that someday things will go well. And you don't want to face the reality that you're nothing but a cosmic nothing. Listen to the words of Jesus. Now, I want to do this quickly. I I started this last week, and I I think it's important to understand because Israel's story is our story. Jesus gives us a template. I want to show you again briefly what, and I'm going to try to go through it pretty quickly, what what Paul did on on the road to his first missionary journey and how he used what we just learned, the prophets and the law, the prophets and the law, the prophets and the law. And if you've been around and listened to me preach or teach or you know whatever for any length of time, you know that we spend an equal, a very almost disproportionate to some, in some people's minds, time in the Old Testament. The, the, those things that were chronicled well in advance of Jesus without any dispute. And, and, I, and I always like to do, people say, well, I don't believe in the New Testament, and it came together and codified years later, hundreds of years later. You can't believe all that. It's just a bunch of stuff. And Dan Brown makes millions of dollars coming up with just, just weird little theories, and Jesus was this, and Jesus was married, and he had kids. And, and I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. That's ridiculous if you know the facts. And you say, well, you know. You can't even trust the New Testament. Well, first of all, you can trust the New Testament, but even if you couldn't, let's do what they did in the New Testament church and just go on the Scriptures, and the Scriptures were what? Not the New Testament, just the Old Testament. And Jesus very clearly emerges, well, exactly as he was describing himself. Acts 13, first missionary journey, verse 14. We started this but couldn't finish it, but we're going to finish it. Lord Jesus, please no coughing. 
So going on from Perga, verse 14 of Acts 13, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. We talked about Syrian Antioch, Pisidian. This is in the kind of the southeast, the SEC conference of Turkey, if you will. And uh, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets. So what they do in synagogues all over? Even the ones in diaspora, even the ones that weren't in, in, in this case, in Israel proper. God had prophesied that they the land was going to vomit them out, and they were going to go all over the place. And this is part of that fulfillment. They, they, here's a synagogue, and there are synagogues to this day, synagogues all over the world. But eventually he starts, says, I'm going to bring them back, and that happened in 1948. And again, God's perfect. He can tell you exactly how the S&P will finish. He's just really good at this. After reading the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them and said, Brothers, now he's got Paul and Barnabas, and they had John Mark, Mark, and uh, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was too intense for him, but they, he ended up going back, and they, they end up reconciling this. But anyway, that's who was there. Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, go ahead and say it. This is an open door. This is what I look for in my life. So when I go into 2023, I'm going to be looking for, go, if you've got something to say, go ahead and say it. I take those opportunities, both on indivi- with individuals, with, with other groups of people, with any opportunity. I was like, oh, door opening, I would love to talk about my relationship with Jesus. That's what is about to happen here. Okay? And Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, men of Israel and you who fear God, the God of this people, Israel, chose, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. So he's going to recount their harrowing story in Egypt, eventually as slaves, and then again, helped out by Moses. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And these things he gave them, Uh, After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. He's just going through their history. That's all he's doing. He said, remember when God did this, and remember when God did this, and remember when God did this with our forefathers. A man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years, and, and he had removed him. He raised up David to be their king, and concerning whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. I'm always so thankful that David's included in that, because I know David was a man who had failed. He gave me hope. I wouldn't be standing. Sometimes I wonder if I'd even be standing up here, given my history and my 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 background and things like that. I, I, preacher? I'd be scoffing at that. Teaching people the word of God, give me a break. And then David, I can still be a man after God's own heart with a past that's pretty checkered. Thankful for that. He says, and from the descendants of of this man, David, according to the promise, the Davidic covenant, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus now listen to the language here. This is important because it goes right back into in the law and the prophets until John and now the, kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached and people are forcing their way into it. Remember what we're thinking about this morning. He says, and after John had proclaimed, now catch this, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance, he's talking about John the Baptist, just what Jesus is talking about here. Paul's just, he's using this as a, as a rhetorical device is as a, as a way to lead people's minds, especially the Jewish people, into a place where they're thinking, okay, yeah, we're, you know, this is us. This is our forefathers. And then he goes, and, and John starts preaching this baptism repentance. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? Uh, I'm not he, I'm not the Savior, but behold, one is coming after me. And his, well, his sandals... I'm not even unworthy to untie those sandals. Brothers, now listen to Paul in the synagogue. At this point, speaking to all Jewish men and women there in the synagogue, or especially men, men. Brother, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God to us, the message of this salvation has been sent for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers. 
Now, this is dangerous. You don't think he's forcing his way in here a little bit? You don't think it's dangerous for Paul to say it was us? And he was part of it. Even at the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, the Bible tells us that this Saul, who wasn't Paul yet, was just hanging on to the clothes of some of those that were stoning the first Christian martyr. He says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, just like we're doing right now, he's saying, fulfill these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, what does that mean? God, because he's so good at predictions, said they're going to do this. They're going to rip his beard out. Psalms talked about that. No bone's going to be broken. They're going to hang him on a tree because those that are hung on a tree are cursed. And Jesus would would become our curse for us. And I mean down to uh, blood and seven times and the cleansing of the house of the leper. And you could just go on and on and on. And the the scapegoat and and, and the ultimate lamb and the bulls and the goats and all the sacrificial system. It was all pointing exactly to him. You think there were, this was going to tick them off? Man. Well, and then they took him down and laid him, took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb and God raised him from the dead. It's a pretty big statement. I'll say that without any equivocation right now. I believe with 100% of my heart, I know it, that God raised Jesus from the dead. He's no guru, although he was brilliant and understood everything and all wisdom is contained in Jesus as the as Paul makes clear but God raised Jesus from the dead and because of that I have confidence that when I die I just really start to live and for many days he appeared to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and the very ones well, who are now as witnesses to this people, and we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. I'm going to go all the way down to verse 44. Give the guys a chance all the way to 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, when it says the Jews, it's not talking about all the Jews. It's not anti-Semitism. Remember, this is the, the leaders in the synagogue primarily. It was... Uh, some Jews were accepting Jesus as the Messiah. Some were rejecting, no different than Gentiles. Some were accepting Jesus as the Messiah as the Savior of the world, and some were rejecting him. But when they saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things. Why were they jealous? They weren't getting any attention. They were the religious leaders. They wanted the spotlight to be on them. One of the three categorical sins. The boastful pride of life. Look to us. Why? Because they were still concerned about the opinions of men. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, but since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're turning to the Gentiles. This is not a once and for all turning to the Gentiles. They went into the very next city, which was further southeast as they were making their little jaunt through this area. And they went straight in and went into the synagogue again. This isn't once for all. Now, okay, the Jews are... And you do understand that that faulty thinking, Luther made that mistake in a horrible way. And even Hitler used some of Martin Luther's stuff and Mein Kampf and all this other to instigate a persecution of Gentiles against Jews, you know. I mean, it's just an absurd mistake made out of the scriptures. They went right back into the synagogue the very next week. He's just talking about... In this synagogue, we've, we've given you the message of the kingdom, and we've, we've explained to you, and you repudiate it. And so we're, we're going to the Gentiles. Gentiles where? In this city. And then we'll go to the next city, and we'll go right back in the synagogue. Just understand that. That's important to know. And then in closing, in this passage, verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. You mean we're included in this thing? This is wild. We didn't expect this. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But then these Jews who had not believed, I just want to add that, incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest, and they went to Iconium, and then right back into the synagogue. Okay, so this was the first missionary journey. And the reason I elaborate to this degree is I want you to understand that this is how the gospel should, in my view, because this is the pattern given to us, Please understand, this is not some people who lived in a cave a few hundred years ago and made up some religion. God has been saying what he was going to do for thousands and thousands of years, even before the time of Jesus. Now, if you want to come together and we can debate all this language, I would love to do that. I do it all the time, from Genesis through Malachi. I mean, all 39 books that were included in this Tanakh or Old Testament they all, Jesus said, they're all pointing at me. Law and the prophets, which is pretty much a summation of the Old Testament, were proclaimed until John the Baptist, but then John comes, he says, now a new kingdom's coming. And you, you didn't see this coming. But once you understand it through the lens of the Christ event, you'll look back and you'll go, oh, that's what they meant. Oh, that's what they meant. Oh, of course they had to mean that. Now, what does this mean to take it by force? I'm asking you the question. You don't think this was a forceful response? Saul was going into a place where before he would have been celebrated. I mean, it'd be like, you know, some expert in some field. You know, Tom Brady's coming and he's going to help and he's going to talk to the high school football team. The GOAT, the greatest of all time. I mean, that's Saul had that kind of a position because he had studied under Gamaliel and he was it was an amazing thing, and here he comes, and he's just going to, he knows when he says this, they're going to go, ah, let's kill him. He expects persecution. I always wondered, I, I still wonder this day, I was talking to Hollis the other day about this, I said, I always wonder I said, if I'll ever go to jail or something for just the gospel. I don't know. I mean, our, our world and nation and stuff is just a little precarious. I wonder if someday if I will. Or somebody will shoot me. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to instigate anything here. Ducking. Is this plexiglass? What is this? Is this, a, you know, I'm just, I don't know. And I don't think that's exactly the only meaning is persecution. But to force your way in, do you think that Jesus, do you just kind of get this by osmosis? I just kind of became a Christian. I don't know how it happened. Jesus is saying it doesn't happen that way. It is such a volitional decision. Now, it may be a long time, but at some point, there is a decision made. It's like, all right, I'm following him. I'm living for him. And you'll understand that with more clarity. But at some point, you have to force your way into it. You're not born into it because you were born in the Bible Belt. You're not born into it because you were born into a Christian family. You're not born into nothing. You don't just happen because you go to church and you're a moral person. Nothing. People are forcing their way into it, and if had they not forced their way into the kingdom, they wouldn't have had this response. I'm just telling you, this doesn't just happen because, yeah, I think I'll believe into that guy. You don't just find yourself in these situations, giving away lots of money or, or your time or your energies or your, or, or your whole life, your career options. It doesn't just happen. You don't do that to be saved, but you give yourself to the king. It's, it's a forceful, a forceful event. Everyone's forcing his way into it. And then Matthew 11, Jesus had a similar conversation as they had put John the Baptist because it was, it was concluding a time of the law and the prophets why they didn't need to speak about the Messiah anymore. He was, he was here. He was present. You could look at him. And listen to him. And when he's in jail, Jesus then makes this comment in Luke, Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men, violent men take it by force. Now, is Jesus advocate? I always, I've told you this before, some of you, but I, I always wondered if I'd be the PR guy running behind Jesus. Now, I need to explain what you said. Jesus, I didn't, because they didn't understand what you said. You said violent men. Who are you talking about? Are you... 
are you telling me we should shoot people and, 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 and not shoot with arrows or stone people or whatever? I mean, what are you talking? I need to explain this. And Jesus oftentimes doesn't explain himself. So what is he clearly talking about in context? The great commentator Matthew Poole says, the violent take it by force. That means they are not lazy wishes or cold endeavors. It's none of those things that bring men to heaven. Do you want to have an impact in 2023? I do. Lord, oh, how I would love to have an impact on people's lives. My world is the golf world. My world is, that's just kind of where God's put me. He's put me in the Coachella Valley 37 years. I become all things to all men by all means, but I know it's going to require a forceful response. I don't ever talk about religion. I don't ever talk about, I just hope someday people see my good behavior and maybe they'll turn to God and be more moral people. It doesn't work that way. I can't just slide into Christianity, into following Jesus. It's a forceful, violent endeavor. We see that. Randy alluded to it. You got all these, everybody's got their New Year's prop, you know, resolutions. And then how many of them, how many are really forceful? I had a guy that, because uh, it's going to sound condescending because it is, but um, I've seen this. I've been out here long enough, and I probably was one of them, you know. So I, 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 I tried a little bit on the senior tour when I turned 50 a decade ago. I can't even believe it, but I thought, you know, I, wanna, I started practicing, really working my games, 47, 40. I probably played 25 tour events through my life, some in Europe, some on the Nike, some on the regular PGA Tour, and, and I'd had some success and won some tournaments, but still, it was a long shot because, you know, there's only five spots on the Champions Tour, which is the senior tour, but it's really turned into something, five spots. And then you can get on all-time money, but that certainly wasn't me, and so I, I gave it a little shot and put a little money together, and some guys helped me out. But I had a guy, I had a guy come, and he he'd, he'd inherited a lot of money, a hundred hundred plus million dollars, and and uh, he was one of the members at a place that I was, and he was about eleven handicap. I am not exaggerating. He to break eighty was a great day, and he'd never played competitive golf, and he came out, and he's like, I, I'm gonna get on the senior tour. I think I'm gonna have nothing but time now. I was going to work on my game, take lessons every day, and really work on it. And then, you know, as soon as about after about an hour, I'll I'll go play some tennis and go have a big nice dinner. You know, I'm just like, I mean, you don't want to tell a guy, especially, you know. Anyway, come on, that's not a violent response, and that response should have started a long time ago. You don't want to tell a guy you got no chance doing that. There's not a chance in snowball no i'm not going to use any of that language but you know what i'm talking about there's no way this is going to happen no way this is going to happen no way this is going to happen anyway he got his tour card and he was no he didn't get his card but anyway he tried for a couple two three years and you know i just kind of ran out of steam and anyway but my, my point is there is a violence to something as radical as following jesus and to take the kingdom, what does it mean to take the kingdom? The rule and the reign. So if we define the kingdom of God as the rule and the reign of God in our lives, violent men take it by force. Do you know how forceful it has to be to let God run your life and tell you what to do in 2023? Do you realize how violent that is? No, I think I could, you know. We just go to church, and we just got to pursue some friends. I, I don't want to just be somebody that does. I want to have an, an impact. I want Jesus to, to look at me and go, there's someone I can trust. I am so far from perfect, but I want that. I can tell you, I, oh, how I want that. I don't want to just be a religious guy. I don't want to be a religious guy. And if you'll remember when we were in closing here, Luke 9, when we were talking, Jesus was talking. Remember when he said, uh, a person came to him and says, Lord, I'm going to follow you, Luke 9, verse 61. Lord, I will follow you, but would you first permit me to say goodbye to those at home? I mean, is that, a, is that that tough of a request? I mean, seriously. 
hey, Jeff, we want you to go on this uh, trip with us to Asia. And uh, we're going to go over there and do a little little missionary deal. And and, uh, and I go, well, okay, well, I, I need to go back and tell Laura I'm going to be gone for a month. I mean, that's fair. I mean, organize a few things. Tell Church of the Red Door we're going to need, first of all, ask permission from ex-pastor and associate pastors and executive team. May I go on this? I mean, there's some preparation. May I just tell my family that I'm leaving? Why would Jesus use this kind of language? Because he was using gen- he's using generative language. He's trying to birth something in our hearts, saying nothing. And so, sometimes this is comparative, right? It's hyperbolic. It's comparative. It's like, does he really say you can't go? Well, no. What he's I think what he's trying to communicate is that you have to understand that you say, well, let me do the pros and cons. Let me figure all this out. No, you just need to do it. You need to do it now. It needs to be aggressive and violent and forceful. That's what Jesus is communicating. Why? He says, because no one, after putting his hand to the plow, the kingdom worker, and looks back, is fit for the kingdom. Now, what does that mean, fit? How does it mean to be fit for the kingdom? You're not in a healthy enough state. Like if you were to ask me, uh, do you? I have a good friend on our national board. We've been friends since we were kids. Uh, named Harold Andrews. We, were, he's he served on our Lynx national board. He served on my original board when we start first started. We've been friends forever, and he decided he's going to run one of these marathons. And I'm not talking like a 5K. I'm talking about a, a too many Ks to count, right? And one of the big ones. And he'd kind of been training for it. And we're the same age, and I'm just like. And he made it. He, he finished the deal, you know. Or at least he told me he did. But I'm not going to do that. Why? I'm not fit. I don't like to run anyway. I mean, I work out and do the stuff, and I try not to, you know. But I'm not, I'm not fit for that. And Jesus is saying, are you fit for the kingdom? I mean, once, you, once the gun goes off, and I have my little sneakers, and I'm like, Let's see, I'm like, how far am I now? Oh, 27 and nine-tenths more miles. All right. I mean, it's a, I'm not going to be able to finish that race. I'm just telling you. I'm not going to finish it, unless I cheat. But I'm not fit. Now, Jesus is saying, look, that's the point. You're not fit. If you're still looking back and saying, well, I have these other priorities, and I have, it's violent. It's forceful. Why do we do this? John Piper wrote a book a number of years back and entitled it Christian Hedonism. Actually, uh, several decades ago. Christian Hedonism. And he made a powerful, and I think this is a brutal, if you will, brutal change of affections is what he's talking about. He said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. How easy do you think it is to get most satisfied in God? where the highest level of satisfaction you have in your life is from the creator of the universe. I mean, I want that. I've had moments of it. I have just, but on a, on a routine basis, it just is a driver for me. Lord, I want to be satisfied in you, okay? I, I'm sick. I feel, I feel terrible. I want to be satisfied in you. Finances aren't going well. Oh, we got this, or I got a relational problem, or I got something. Lord, I want to be most satisfied in you. And you meet people that I believe live at a higher level of that, and it doesn't matter what they're going through. They're just satisfied. Mick Jagger couldn't get it, but they are somehow getting satisfaction. And God is most glorified when you're most satisfied. Why? Well, first of all, when you forcefully respond, it's your ultimate joy. It's God's ultimate glory. And for the growth of his kingdom... Well, that leads to our ultimate joy, and I think his ultimate joy, because his plans are being enacted in the earth. Do you want to make God joyful at your life? It's going to demand violence to cling to the rule of God in such a way, church at the red door, in such a way that it'll, it'll feel like a cross. I want to do that, but I'm not going to do that. I, I don't want to go down that road, Lord, but I'm, and so it, does he use, does Jesus use formulaic language? Hey, 
guys are religious anyway. You want to add a little something to your religion? You know, I, I've got some keys, some wisdom keys that will help you live a happy life. Blah, 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 blah. But Jesus comes in with generative language, force, violent men and women. Take it by force. That's my prayer for us this year. That's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for my family. Lord, that somehow we wouldn't just come to religion and go, I just don't want it. I, but boy, would I love to be impactful in the lives of people in the Coachella Valley in some small way based on my gifting. That's, could, that could be your prayer this morning. That could be your prayer. Let me close in prayer. And then Paul's going to come. Is it Paul? You lead in communion? Lord Jesus, 2023 is right in front of us. Maybe somebody on television is watching this, maybe three or four weeks later. And, but it's still the early formula, formulative uh, forming years, formative years of 2023, formative months of 2023. Lord, we want to, some of you watching or here today may say, I, wanna, I want to enter and follow Jesus. Lord, will you forgive me of my sins? I choose to follow Jesus. I'm not interested in being religious. I just want to follow Jesus because I think he was the creator and the, he died for me. And I, I just believe that somehow. I didn't I come in here believing that, but I believe it now. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to take this opportunity right now. I'm going to take it by force. And I'm going to choose to follow him. Even though I don't really fully understand what that means. Oh, that's a beautiful decision to make. I, always, I, I never begged people off. I said, take it radically. Maybe, maybe you've been following him for a while, but you feel like, ah, it's kind of my whole program. I don't, even, I don't know if I'm ready to really say, Jesus, used me in 2023, but it's kind of scary. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be ostracized. But somehow right now, you just like, I, I want to be that. I want to be that. And Jesus, I think Jesus has given me a key to, well, satisfaction and peace and thriving. And So, Lord Jesus, I choose for 2023 to listen to your voice, to be attentive to your voice, and to follow you in ways that I truly never have before. What a way to start a year. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul?